Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to my favorite time of the week. And I'm very lucky to have Nusha Paris, who is the Vice President for Foreign Exchange and a General Manager in American Express. Nusha, welcome. Thank you. Great having you on the show. And um, tell me about sort of who's been inspiring for you? Who've been the inspiring leaders who've touched your life? Well, I thought I'd first of all start with where my leadership journey started. And actually, it all started given that I'm the eldest of four children. Yep. And during this um, period of time, there was a great degree of responsibility that you learn. And after that, I captained various sporting teams and I learned a lot about organisation during this time. And and for the past nine years, I've held various leadership roles at American Express, and it's been an experience that I've enjoyed enormously, and it's been very fulfilling. Great. And, and in, the, um, in the inspiring people that have really touched your life, you, when we chatted before, you were mentioning your parents are quite inspiring to you. What would it be about your parents that was so inspiring and that's shaped the kind of leader you are today? So as a child, I grew up in Iran in the late 70s, early 80s. And as you and maybe some of the listeners mm. may recall, mm. Iran wow. was at war during that period of time. So what we would do is my mother would take us to school in the mornings. My dad would go to university where he lectured. And then in the afternoons, we would all meet back at the house and pack up the car, drive up to the mountains and spend the night um, in the mountains. The wow. reason we would do that is because there was very little or no light pollution there, so there was minimal chance of us being bombed. So what was um, incredible was that my parents still expected us to do our homework. We had our family chats, had a bite oh, to God. eat. And then in the mornings, we'd get in the car and drive back into the city and resume our daily with our daily lives and my parents I think were hugely courageous and mm. also inspirational during this period of time and the years that followed and what I learned from them first and foremost was the importance of structure yeah. and being able to focus on areas that you can influence in your life because that gives you a huge level of empowerment the second thing was the importance of communication. As you can imagine, as children, mm. we had lots of questions and they were always very honest. They were clear, they were consistent. And at the particularly uncertain times, uh, that communication was frequent. Yeah. And then all this was wrapped up in their unwavering set of values and beliefs around respect, honesty. And I suppose that's probably the reason why I've stayed at Amex for so long. Yeah, and, and that... Um respect and honesty, uh, it, it seems to be something that's very important to you, isn't it? You, you have a, a value set that you, you judge situations by. Do you want to just tell me what that, what that is based on your parents? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's so important regardless of who you interact with, is that, that level of respect and integrity is there within yourself for the other people mm. as well. Yeah, good. And then, and then, what about you know? We all um, we all make a lot of mistakes. I seem to be making an enormous number of mistakes. <laughs> but um, what have you what have you learned from when as you were as you're going along as a leader? Things that didn't work, 
and and how has that shaped you? As an individual, I have come to learn that I have got a very clear set of principles. I'm very disciplined. I love structure. And that all wraps up with my values and beliefs on top of that as well. And I that's the way I'm wired. Mm. Not everybody is wired up in the same way as I am. And mm. I'm sure that some of the listeners will also reflect on times where maybe you're, um, the way that you're wired is different to yeah. the way that the people that you work with or work for you. And where I've made mistakes in the past is uh, to try and impose my set of principles upon other people. Mm. And what I have learned over the years is that it's important to be very flexible and to understand where the other person is coming from. And, it, and that's vitally important to be able to relate to people, to motivate them and to also engage them. Yeah, so you just reminded me, I was uh, having an interesting coaching session before this one. And we were talking about two things which really have helped this leader I was working with. One was being non-judgmental and the second one was being non-attached. And uh, I found it quite useful. So 2000 years ago, the Stoics had some very good philosophies. And uh, that was that control the controllable thing. You sort of alluded to this, that, you know, the things you can control, you can control your own thoughts and your own feelings and you can control the actions that you take. But you can't really you can influence others, but you can't really control. And I think. It was quite interesting that your upbringing was, was it biochemistry? That's you, you right, did, that's uh, what I Birmingham, studied, yes. At Birmingham, I think. You did your MSc there. Um, very structured, very organised, and it has a logic about it. And, of course, other people won't be like that. They'll be quite different. Um, so how do you find you would adapt to people who are, like, different? Because we don't see other people as they are. We see them as we are, looking through our lenses. <laughs> so how do you cope with people who are sort of more free flow and less organised and a bit chaotic? Actually, this is something I have worked on a lot as a leader over the past, um, well, nine, ten years. And what I have landed up with is for me to come to peace with the fact that I have got my set of principles, values, beliefs, and the people that I work with, it's really important for them to match that. However, to be really open and actually proactively seek that level of what I think of diversity. Mm. Diversity to me, the way yeah. that I am, my skill set, my background, but also diversity amongst the broader team as well. Yeah. I think that's really important to have that. I think it's in situations like that that you get innovation, because I can't innovate if I am you know, super structured and you know, I've got my rigour, I need someone who's got that free flow thinking, yeah. for instance, that you mentioned. Well, it's interesting, uh, you listened to the other podcast of Philippa Snare, that is uh, the uh, CMO for Facebook, uh, for EMEA. Philippa was saying that, you know, you've got to have your value set. And if you find that your value set and the value set of the organisation or the people you're with are so misaligned, you're going to have to make a call. And um, I, I think it's, it's so nice that you've in American Express, you found an organization with very strong value set and you have very strong value set. It's a very good alignment. Um, how, how about uh, top tip? What would your top tip be that you'd <laughs> leave the, uh, the listeners with? I would say um, within yourself and within your team, always seek curiosity and actually do something with that curiosity. I think that's so important to invite that. I think that's where you get creativity from the team. And I mentioned diversity before. A lot of people think about diversity in with a gender lens. However, yeah. I think diversity comes from all sorts of different 
um, aspects. It could be maybe educational background or maybe no education at all. It could be experience in a certain field um, or no experience in that field that um, you're working in today. So mm. that would be my top tip. I think it's a, I think it's a really good top tip. And I think um, th this, this whole area of respecting diversity, uh, trying to get innovation, learning from other people that you're with. Uh, someone said to me, you know, everybody you meet has something to teach you. Mm. If only you'd listen, everybody. <laughs> and, and sometimes I learn from people, I go, I'm never going to do that. But at least I've learned something about it. Nusha, thank you very much indeed. It's been great having you on the show. Thank and I look forward you, to our Inspiring Leadership Extra session in a moment. Thank great. You. Thank, thank you very much. Cheers. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to Inspiring Leadership Extra, where I'm with Nusha Paris, the Vice President for uh, Foreign Exchange in American Express. Um, Nusha, we, we were talking earlier about your uh, upbringing and it, it's an unusual upbringing, which I think the people listening, the, the variety of leaders, all sorts of backgrounds, would like to hear about different diverse experiences and diverse backgrounds. So, so tell me, you began, you know, you lived in Iran during the 1979 uh, revolution and also during the war with Iraq. I mean, that's a tough time. What, what was going on and, and, and how did that influence you as a leader? Um, you know, what did you learn from those times? I think it was very unsettling and as a child you naturally have a lot of questions as to what's happening why is it happening and you've got um, some news being fed through the media you're asking lots of questions to the adults and I think for me it was a time of huge uncertainty and ambiguity I think what I liked in particular was the fact that my parents are also both first children. We always joke about this in our household that they love rules. We love rules and, you know, they love structure. So that was one of the things that was absolutely unwavering. We, we had still had to go to school. We still did our homework and only the best was expected. So I think um, in the backdrop of all the uncertainty and all the things that were going on, I think it's I feel really fortunate to have had people in my life during that time to give that level of structure, to give the focus, to also explain what you can then do with that education, with that education mm. moving forwards. And I like the story you were telling that because of the threat of bombing in a city where there was lots of lights on, your parents would drive you out up to the hills every night but you still have to do your homework, is that right? Absolutely, so we would have either torches or one of those um, gas lights and we would still do our homework. There was no complaining uh, at the time, it was my brother and I, and we would just do our homework. My parents would check it and we would have chats and conversations. We didn't make a big hoo-ha about it. We just yeah. um, were very grateful. I think that's one of the other key things my parents taught me was to be really grateful about all the good things that you have. Yeah, I, I like that you were talking talking about, you know, even just being grateful for light and fresh water and things like that. And it, it is a key factor in people's happiness in life that they appreciate the small things and never take anything for granted. I mean, two, two things, non-attachment and the other one is non-judgment. And I think this sounds like something you've built into your approach as a leader. Am I, is that fair? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think non-attachment is something very important. I think um, it's easy to allow your emotions to drive maybe the tone or the sort of conversation that you would have with people. And it's so important to step back and understand where the other person is coming from and to look at the world from their perspective as well. I think um, judgment is uh, something I... Um, used to have you know quite a lot of in spadefuls but it's something that I've learned that actually you can have much more harmonious relationships and um, work relationships with people if you put judgment to one side. Mm. I, I think someone said to me once um, it, it's okay to have good judgment or make make a judgment on a situation but don't be judgmental yes uh, and it's, it's a fine play so you're now uh, 16 years in american express i seem to recall a whole variety of jobs and you've become a vice president uh, in charge of 60 people which is a, a sizable group in foreign exchange um you have some very clear values from from the upbringing you're given by your parents as a leader. You were put forward to me by one of your team who said you, they found you an inspiring leader. And I always find that really quite powerful when someone says that's the case. What's hilarious when Lee wrote her book about inspiring women leaders, um, every time she saw one of the leaders, she said, no, 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 I'm not inspiring, but I can recommend this other person. But blokes go, yeah, yeah, I'm inspiring because <laughs> men, we're so, we're so arrogant. But... Um, what is it you found between your value set uh, and American Express's value set that you find so appealing? What's the connection for you? Yeah, and actually I'll answer that. But um, it was interesting, about six months ago, I was, was in front of a bunch of new hires at American Express and someone said to me, uh, as a question, crikey, how come you've stayed at this company for so long? And it was the first time somebody had asked me that question and it sort of took me back and... I suddenly realized, actually, the reason is that the values or that American Express has got as an organization maps beautifully to my personal values. And they, what we have are these things called our blue box values. So they center around honesty, integrity, respect in the workplace, so on and so forth. And as I look at those, and I went back to my desk and I looked at those and I was looking at thinking and reflecting about my own values and beliefs. And I was like, gosh, that's the reason why I've stayed here for so long. I mm. think if there is any point in time where there is a misalignment between those, then I know that that's a time to um, maybe find another place where that value set is a close match. Yeah, and in fact, you and I were talking about Philippa Snare on, I think it was episode, uh, uh, episode four, uh, on the podcast, she um, she said it's so important that your values do match. And if there's a real misalignment, you have to reflect on, uh, is this the right place for you? But you found, you found home uh, in American Express, very strong values that they have. Uh, and before American Express, you were at Cargill. Now, you were, I think, what, the, the, the sort of strange, exotic beast of the, a woman in, in a, an all-male environment, almost. What was, what was that like? That must be quite strange. So it was very strange. I remember the first um, job that I had there, I, I sort of turned up. It was in Hull. And oh, I'd never yeah, been, very exciting. I'd never been to Hull. They said that I was I, born in Halifax, and they have a oh, saying, come Hull, Hell, or Halifax, the good Lord deliver us. <laughs> 
And do you know yeah. why? It's because in Hull and Halifax, they used to have a gibbet and they would hang people. They were the last two towns in the country to hang people. So luckily, none of your staff got hung. So oh, you Thankfully, were, nor did I. You were in Cargill and Hull. Well, okay, so you were there. <laughs> and yeah. I remember sort of, you know, rocking up on the first day and... And actually, everybody that I seem to be working with during that time, this is going back some years ago, they were all men. Uh, they were on average 20 years older than me. I was super exotic because I had a different name. I had a foreign name. And I think I'm probably, I can confidently say I was probably the only foreign person in that um, in that organisation. And on one particular occasion, I remember I drove up to one of the farms where I was visiting uh, some of the customers and I hadn't quite realised, you know, right, what do I wear? And I sort of worn this sort of cream skirt with heels and the farmer just took one look at me and he was just like, what do I do with this boy? <laughs> <laughs> so I think I probably, um, you know, definitely introduced some diversity during that period of time at uh, at Cargill. But again, a f you know, fantastic company to work for. Yeah. And uh, I did then move on to Lincolnshire from, from Hull. But um, yeah. then I uh, found this role at American Express um, yeah. 19 years ago, and I've been here since. And what was the first role you did at American Express? It was in sales, yeah. and I remember calling my dad at the time and saying, gosh, I've been offered this job at American Express, um, but the problem is it's a sales job, and I have never sold, I don't know how to sell, I'm petrified because if you're not good at it, everybody gets to notice and out you go. And my dad said, you know what, it's a role that you, and as a function, you should absolutely work in um, in your at some point in your career, which I then took that risk, mm. moved down to London, which is you know the main motivation I wanted to I wanted to move out of out of Lincoln, and I never looked back. I did several sales roles. I've done sales leadership roles, and the buzz I get out of it and how much I enjoy it is. Um, it's fantastic. It's very energizing. And it's interesting, it's a sales leadership role, because it's it's one thing to be a salesman. And there's always that famous comment about two salesmen meeting at the end of the day. And one said, I had some great meetings today. And the other one said, yeah, I didn't sell anything either. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, as a leader of salesmen and women, that's harder than being the salesman, because it, it isn't just because you're the best person selling. It it, it takes an extra skill. What do, what do you think the skill of a leader of salesmen and women, what, what do you, did you find and have found works well? I think for me, originally, it actually came from being in a position to be able to help people. Yeah. And I probably took about 18 months before I was successful in getting a leadership role. And it was a um, gentleman who I ended up working for for a good five and a half years who noticed that I had this desire to, to help and to do the right thing, that I was super organized, that I was very structured. And he saw the benefit of those in a sales leadership role. And he just um, approached me and said, hey, I've, you know, there's this role going as a sales leadership role. Mm. And I said, crikey, I've never led people before. Are you crazy? This is a team of 20 people. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, which, was, which is a lot of people. And uh, he said, no, do you know what? I think you've got... Uh, no bad habits, and I um, can teach you anything you don't know, but I think you'll be a natural at it. So, uh, what, it. what did you, if, if there were a couple of things you learned from him or other good leaders about selling? Because selling is, is, in many ways, it's not necessarily about pushing your product on other people, but actually really being interested in them 
and getting them to want to buy you and whatever you represent. But what was it you learned as a leader from him and others about being a good leader of salespeople? I think, first of all, is about spotting the talent that would enjoy that role in the first place. And the second thing I would say is instilling a degree of curiosity in the salesperson to have the conversations with the prospect in a way that you are genuinely interested in their business and that when you ask those questions, do something with that information rather than just go to your next question that you've got on your list of things to ask. And then the third thing is instilling belief in the individual because if they don't believe in themselves, they're not going to come across that compelling on the phone. They Mm. will lack that level of confidence and Mm. it's being able to help them believe that they can do it and why they can do it getting them focused on what their strengths are. Yeah, well, it's interesting because as you're talking there, it took me back to the stories of, of your um, upbringing. And you, know, you ended up going into uh, biochemical engineering, which requires a lot of structure, a lot of order uh, among a chaotic world that we live in, trying to, trying to draw out the best and make sense of things. But I was interested, we talked a little bit before about that, that upbringing in the revolution and in the war and then coming across the UK. What was the, if you look back over your time as a as a, a leader growing up or as a, as a young person growing up, what were the, some of the darkest time, a darkest time in your life and, and what did you learn from that? Because I find the really most authentic inspired leaders have had and admit that they've had some tough times and they draw something from it because there must be a learning. What would be your darkest time? For me, when we first came to England, I didn't speak any English or spoke very, very little. Because it was Farsi you were speaking, was it? Farsi, yeah, Yeah, that's right. And uh, when we arrived, I probably had about two months where I went to summer school just to learn some English before going to straight into secondary school. And my first year at school was very tough. And in particular, I remember... It must have been in the first two or three weeks, I went to a home economics class and I turned up and everybody had these baskets and they had all their um, bits and pieces that we were then going to be using for the cooking class. And I didn't have anything because I hadn't understood what had gone on in the lesson before that you were supposed to take all these bits and pieces with you. So there was a girl in the class who just ushered me over and she said, no, don't worry, come here and we'll do all the cooking together. And she had her eggs and her flour and everything else. And we cooked whatever it was that we cooked. And for me, that was incredible because it sh- it showed how much someone can value a degree of kindness. And for me, that was a bit of teamwork demonstrated in my um, time of vulnerability and need. And I think after that... What was her first name? Um, her, I remember her first name uh, was Lisa. So the Lisa effect, uh, is, is which Lisa people, effect. Shouldn't, people shouldn't underestimate it. And, uh, and I think, you know, you as a leader now, as myself as a leader, um, when you do an act of generosity or kindness, unprompted, uh, not expecting anything in return, it really touches the lives of people. And if only people would try and do that at least once a week, if not once a day, just to, to do... Uh, an act of kindness for somebody else who you don't know. There's a lovely thing called pay it forward, that you, 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 you do an act of kindness to somebody else. And they say, well, what do you want in return? I said, nothing, but just 
please carry out two acts of kindness for two, two complete strangers expecting nothing in return. That's all I ask. And it, it really creates a positive virus that goes through a business, a community. Do you reckon? Absolutely. And I'm um, violently shaking my head uh, or nodding my head, I should say. And for me, this concept of paying it forward is something I use in my work life as well as my personal life. I think it's yeah. so important because that's how you inject additional level of positivity and kindness into be it the work environment or into society yeah and um it obviously has spun off onto your your husband because you say he, he's interested in the whole thing about people and stuff like that isn't he Absolutely. He calls himself the connector. The connector. Yes. So sounds like some kind of um, superhero name. But <laughs> connector. <laughs> the connector. And uh, what he um, has demonstrated so many times is that if he has a contact, if somebody needs something, if someone needs to find a job, he always pulls on his um, contacts that he's got, the relationship that he's built over the years and brokers introductions for people without expecting anything in return whatsoever. Again, this concept of pay forward. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really important. And, and so in that tough time when you first came to the country and, you know, Britain has been known as much as, you know, we've had the, the bad press from Brexit. Um, Brit Britain has always been known as a place that takes in other people who want to make something of their life and gives them a chance. I mean, people forget that Boris's, I think his parents came from Russia, Turkey, something like that. I mean, the name of Boris, it's clearly not English. So, and they say, oh, we went, he went to Eton. Well, he went on a scholarship, he got a scholarship to go there. So. I think it is the land of opportunity if only we'd carry on with that. And I don't think we should lose that. And, and you have talked a lot, and I've been very impressed by the, the sense of diversity of thought uh, and attitude at, at American Express. Do you want to just share a bit more about, about that, of, of what, what you've seen in the diversity of mindset uh, and to respect people from all sorts of different backgrounds uh, and all the, the spectrum of diversity and inclusion. Just talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, sure. So I think historically, if we go back, um, you know, a couple of decades and you were to go to different organisations, you would typically find that people are recruiting um, people coming into their organisations in their own image. Um, over certainly the last 10 years or so, proactively, we as leaders have... Um, opened our minds and our eyes to the importance of having people that come from a different, be it background to us, um, not necessarily having the same level of educational um, accreditations to what we have, the experiences that they come with. You've got introverts, extroverts. I often look in a meeting room and I look at somebody who may be a little bit shy or they might be an introvert, but still they will have something to say which would be of enormous value to the group. And I proactively tend to invite them to contribute to that meeting. And very often that's where you have the aha moments. And I love the marriage of, let's say, somebody who's very analytical and someone who is a huge extrovert and very creative. And when you bring those two diverse perspectives together that's where you can mm. 
really surprise yourself as a team and as a business. Mm. So I think this is something that um, as an organization, we feel very passionately about. And for me personally, as a leader, I've proactively gone and sort of sought um, individuals to plug any diversity gaps that I might have within the team. Yeah, and let's talk about that that diversity. And also you talked about the combination of different people and innovation. Um, One of the things that I find works very well is um, you tend to have in some organizations at least 50% who are introverts. Um, and it's, it's even now a category of not introvert or extrovert, but an ambivert, someone who could at times be one or times the other, or, or even um, you've got extroverted introverts and introverted extroverts. So, so for example, I think of, of my own two daughters, um, in fact, and my stepdaughter, Lana, that, that probably all three of them are introverts, but they at times have learned to be extroverted. And they, they do their best thinking probably when they have time to reflect. Um, so I, I've, I've found that in, in meetings where you're trying to get innovation from a room, to expect the same old voices, who are normally the gobby extroverts like me, they're funny enough, I'm an extroverted introvert, so that's interesting. I need my time on my own afterwards to recharge. But um, they tend to be the one who talk a lot. Um, but by giving everybody a turn for a minute, no more. Uh, and that when they're speaking, no one will assault their thinking. It's the work of Nancy Klein and her time to think. That's incredibly powerful because you're building on the thought from the people before you. So what your freshest thinking is, not this is my thought, or regardless of what anybody else has said, this is my view, mm-hmm. that, that please suspend judgment. Don't be so attached to your own thoughts and listen to the person who's gone before you. And if you can iterate and build on that thought, how much more innovative would that be? And what could you finally create? And then that you as the vice president, as the leader of that team, then go, okay, having heard you all, because I've chosen to pass and go last wherever I am in the circle. My thinking is, uh, this is my freshest thinking, and therefore my decision, my action, next step, who's accountable, and the delivery deadline, what we call Dan's ad. My first draft of that is this. So are you committed? If you are committed, thumbs up. If you're not committed, thumbs sideways, or you're against it, thumbs down. And then I'll ask those who haven't got thumbs up to the suggestion of the first draft of a, a Dan's ad, um, what would it take to make it a thumbs up? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what would you need to hear? And that is a really great way of drawing out. And then you can have a second draft and a third draft, but then everybody is thumbs up or pretty much, mm. even those who aren't, do you feel you've been heard? Yes, I feel I've been heard. And I've seen that transformer group. Uh, uh, have you found similar ways or other ways of, of bringing out innovation as a leader? One of the things I really like doing is actually writing down people's thoughts and ideas on a board. I think that probably about, I think the statistic is about 60% of people are visual people. Mm -hmm. And by putting things down on the board, um, I find really effective. But the other thing I also introduce sometimes in those ideation sessions is a rule which is called you cannot say no and you cannot say yes, but. And as soon as anybody starts to say that, I'm like, no, not allowed. <laughs> so, so then what we do is we have everything out on the board. No one is allowed to say no. 
And then what we do is we build on ideas. I also proactively invite people to voice their thoughts, their opinions, where they've been uh, quiet. And I also look for visual cues from people. And if somebody looks like they disagree, there's a flicker of an eye or an eyebrow or an eyelash or a hair or anything, I do pick up on it. And my team have learned that I do pick up on it. So they I then invite them to um, voice their thoughts. And you just remind me, I, I am been trained by Marshall Goldsmith in New York with uh, a program called Stakeholder Centered Coaching. And uh, one of the things he did, which made us all laugh, was he got us to bring about five pounds worth of coins in our pocket. And then he asked which charity we wanted to support. And in this particular case, uh, I said, look, how about the Inspiring Leadership Trust for these vulnerable girls? And, and he said, okay, we'll choose that charity. And he said, you cannot use the words no, but, or however. And if you do, you put one of your pounds in the pot for the charity. And uh, we, made, we made about 53 pounds <laughs> because people can't stop themselves. And it's just, it, people get caught in a, just a, almost like a negative vein. So if you take those, like, you know, words create worlds. I'm a great believer that, mm. you know, your, your language creates the, wor the world you live in and you are the sum of the five or six people you spend your most time with. So, so do choose who you're with and also carefully choose the language you use. Uh, and I, I do find that saying uh, yes and rather than no but, as my sergeant major rather rudely said, sir, keep your butt out of my face. <laughs> and, and he said, don't say to me, you've done a great job, sergeant major, but blah, 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 blah. Because everything before the but is rubbish and I won't hear it. I, I'll switch off from that. I'll just hear everything after the but. So saying to me, you've done a great job, Sergeant Major, and what will make it even better mm. is this, then I'll hear that. Absolutely. And I've never forgotten that, mm. never forgotten that. What, what would be uh, some of the things that you've learned from people as sort of know, sayings or philosophies for, for yourself as a leader? I've got two quotes, and let's hope I get them right. Um, it doesn't matter. The first one is, a, is one from Richard Branson, which is, teach them so well that they can leave treat them so well that they want to stay that's lovely and for me as a leader I, that that's that's in my book that I carry around everywhere with me I'm a copious note taker and the second one I really love is life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it oh that's so good I, I like both of them I mean the first one I like I, I always have enjoyed Branson even though he was sort of a rogue and caught sort of bringing counterfeit records back into the UK as a young man. Uh, I think he's just got such a great attitude to life and, and, and made such a difference to so many businesses. Um, and one of the guys who's helped me with the podcast, um, he was trained up with Branson and things. And uh, so, so I've always admired uh, Alex Chisnell. Um, and um, Someone said to me about, you know, developing people. Sometimes, you know, people don't want to spend any money on coaching or leadership development. Oh, it's expensive. And uh, it could have been Branson or someone else said, if you think education is expensive, try the cost of ignorance. 
You know, try the cost of ignorance. If you think that's expensive, try ignorance. And uh, the other one that people used to say in the army was, uh, oh, hang on, look, if we train, I got trained in the army to do my MBA and eventually I left, but but um, they were really anti spending money on giving people an MBA, a master of business administration, which you know, you know, people would leave. And they said, well, look, how about this? Um, we, we develop them and they might leave, or we don't develop them and they stay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which was so good. And then in your second quote, I think that really has resonated for me that, you know, it's about control the controllables that you, the only thing in life you can control is Nusha's thoughts and Nusha's actions. You can't control, you can influence me, but you can't control. And I think a lot of people get this problem with what, what is termed in an in a unhealthy marriage, coercive control where another person tries to really control someone in manipulative, subtle ways. And men and women do this in business, don't they? Uh, they can, they can do it. Final thoughts. What, what will be your final thoughts um, to leave with the listeners before we, we wrap up? I would say uh, something that I've done and I will continue to do, which I would share with the listeners, is think about what you really enjoy doing. And I think if you always incorporate those list of things that you enjoy doing in your life, in your career, in your personal life, it will, you will not only be excellent at it and you'll excel at it, but actually you'll be really, really happy. So that's my final thought. It's a brilliant one. Thank you, Nisha. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure working with you. Thank and you. Uh, I take a lot from that. Thank you. Thank you. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.